With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do wish you'd stop that, Jeff. It is rather off-putting. Okay, so before the after-movie diner can start, we here at the Radio Flange Goblet have got a little bit of spring cleaning to do. For this, we require at least something to cover our naughty bits, so if you will excuse me a moment... Ah, much better. Okay, so we've got some public notices. Could a Miss Nibbly Pringspume of Trousers on the Weft please move your large flowery lapels as they're blocking my view of the Andre Previn lookalike who's performing a saw-in-half trick on a small otter here at the Billings Flaps County Hall, Flem Gusset, Shropshire. Yes, please will you do that, Miss Nibbly Pring. That really is a fucking awful thing to do. Next... Um, if anyone has seen a 5 foot 10 inch balding man in a tattered dress suit, slightly too short, hanging out in the frozen produce aisle of Waitrose, spooning artisanal gluten-free organic vegan oysters into a bowler hat and occasionally yelping freedom, who answers to the name of Tiddles, please send him back to For the Gardens, Kidderminster Drive, the cops, as it's tea time and his hams are getting cold. Well, indeed, who wouldn't want to miss those hams? And finally, um, could a Mr. Serengeti Hopscotch, I believe that's how it's pronounced, please stop sending us what seems to be close-up photographs of Andre Agassi's back fur. That would be greatly appreciated. We have all we need right now to paper the downstairs lavatory and the excess are just taking up space in Nigel Havers. So now, after much rubbing and pursing of lips, here then is the after-movie diner. Jeff, will you give me that little shit? Welcome back to the After Movie Diner, and on this episode, it is a fantastic return to form, uh, as it is with my original uh, co-host, longest and best buddy, uh, author extraordinaire, and uh, just a wonderful all-round chap. Uh, You've missed him, I've missed him, he's back on the show again, it's Mr. John Wallace. Hello, sir. Hello, hello, good to be here. I'm back from outer space. Yes, you are. You've... You just walked in to find me here with that smug look upon my face. <laughs> and and something of a of a beard growth going on, which I'm enjoying a lot. Yeah, the beard it. The beard is pure. My beard is, isn't uh, as um, committed as yours. My beard is uh, pure laziness. It's just easier than shaving. It's yeah. Just... Well, I mean, that, that's how mine started. <laughs> yeah. So mine, mine grows, and then I give it a bit of a buzz, and then it grows, bit of a buzz, grow. I don't maintain it at a particular sort of ZZ top length as, as you do. I don't even know how, how you handle that apart. It looks like you do it with shears or something. No, I don't, I, I don't actually trim it at all. This is just oh, how no, it no. grows. It's kind of like you'll remember, sir, that back when I was 16 and I got a really shitty haircut, so I was like, right, I'm, I'm never cutting my hair again, and I let it grow down to my tits. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that. Like, I was, I, I had a beard for a long time, and I liked having a beard, and I hated not having a beard. And then I was just like, I'm just gonna let this, 
this grow. I have a job that that thankfully uh, they, they let really it grow, let it blossom, let it flow. Indeed, as the rubbish Clapton song goes. <laughs> Indeed, exactly. As uh, the big ginger pubic mane that my beard is, uh, I'm just I quite enjoy it. I put a little balm on it occasionally. Do you really balm it? I balm it. I put beard that's balm see, that's on. That's commitment. That's I what put I'm talking beard about. That's... balm on, yeah, when I get out of the shower. To... Well, it's, commitment to the it beard. stops it being too, like, grotesque, although it is pretty grotesque. Really. Mm. So, uh, so yes, um, you're back uh, in the After Movie Diner, and uh, it's a couple of days after your third book of your uh, Barricade, Steeple, and Rig, which is the uh, Kensterbeck uh, trilogy. The third book, Rig, has just been released in the UK. Will be released in the US in August. However, you can have it imported from the UK on Amazon, and it's a perfectly reasonable price. So uh, everyone should just do that. Um, but why don't you tell us all about Rig, sir, and tell people first of all where they can find it, where you're going to be signing stuff, and also what's it all about, Jeffrey? Uh, well, um, that's very nice for you to uh, plug me at the beginning. <laughs> top of the show. Top of the show. Top plug. of the show, um, Rig. Well, I just, I'd say to anyone, anyone in the US who's listening, I would love it if you went out and got um, Barricade, which is the first book of the trilogy. And it's basically, it's a, um, the elevator pitch was, it's a taxi driver in post-apocalyptic Britain driving on a journey from Edinburgh to London across a, um, dystopian landscape of freaks, tribes, kings, and weirdos, um, and it's basically it's funny, action-packed, um, gruesome, near-future science fiction. It's kind of like sci-fi slash horror, really, um, which it wasn't intended to be, but it definitely is. And uh, Bar- Bar- Barricade is dirt cheap on the ebook. I think. I think on the ebook, it's it's pretty cheap. So so yeah. grab it grab it on ebook, and if you like it, you know, bung a review up because that really helps. I was just about to say, yeah, we need to urge everybody yeah. if you do go buy it, uh, uh, bung a review up because reviews on Amazon. Uh, that's the way to go. There's a very popular meme that's been going around on Facebook all about how um, authors are practically small businesses and the only way to get the word out is reviews on such things as Amazon. Just like with this podcast, the only way to get the news out is uh, reviews on iTunes. Uh, So review everything, people, and just say how wonderful we all are um, and give us stars and things. But yes, uh, Barricade's awesome and Steeple is also out, dude, uh, on... um, ebook and i think paperback on amazon.com because i think there's some warehouses that basically just like will ship it anywhere kind of thing yeah so do it it will make me it, you know it, 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 it'll make me very happy basically <laughs> if you do it so uh, yeah but it's it, that, that that's what it is and it's uh, well you'll it's read real... some bloody fine writing is what what'll happen you'll read some bloody fine writing you'll enjoy it they're like movies in books so this is a movie show but we also like reading they're like movies in books. There's comedy, there's horror, there's violence, there's sci fi It's all great. Thank you very much, yeah. It, it certainly is. And uh, it's, it's great to have the third one coming out. And um, we'll be doing a little thing in London on the 30th, which is very nice, at um, Blackwell's, um, which is a lovely bookstore on Holborn. And, um, yeah, it's all good in the world of uh, science fiction authorship. But we are not here to talk about science fiction. We're here to pick up the the Kane and Keaton batons, which are dusty and discarded at the side of the running track because we became too heaving and breathless and weighty to, <laughs> to continue running. And now we're, we're, we're carrying on. Yeah, we are. We, we've, we, we were going to leave this particular movie to the end of the Kane and Keaton run. 
Um, but because uh, we, we only kind of planned this a few days ago and we didn't have weeks to kind of uh, find and source uh, Kane and Keaton masterpieces from the 80s, we just thought we'd jump straight forward to the one movie that we're aware of in which they both star, um, and that is uh, 2003's classic Quicksand, uh, which stars Kane and Keaton. And, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty tremendous. Now, uh, anyone who listens to this who's also following on the Facebook group, we did get hundreds of questions, which we're going to tantalizing, uh, uh, tantalizingly rather answer at the end of the show. So listen to the review of Quicksand, listen to the whole show, and then hear your name read out and your questions. See what I did there? Ah, see what I did there? Now you have to listen to the whole show before you get your 15 seconds of uh, uh, podcast stardom. Uh, and you also have to hear all about Kane and Keaton Quicksand. But don't worry, it's, it's going to be a hoot. Uh, John, why don't you lay out uh, the somewhat uh, uh, moth-eaten rug that is the plot <laughs> of Quicksand? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, um, so Michael Keaton is a uh, compliance officer working in, um, I, I don't know, New York or something, very, very wealthy, driven, in the gym every day compliance officer who is made aware of some kind of curious discrepancy in their accounts and flies out to Monaco to investigate personally, as you do, um, and becomes embroiled in a Eastern European people smuggling operation, which is running off the back of a film production starring the one and only Michael Caine. Yeah, and the film production um, is basically a way for this uh, Russian mob to launder money, because it's a fake movie, doesn't really exist, but it's a way to funnel money through something and then bring it out clean the other side. I don't fully understand it, but that's kind of what it is. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, uh, and, and, it, and things, things unfold. And what unfolds, as I, I, I saw you um, mentioned on Facebook, is a curious mix of a sort of a, a very low-grade Eastern promises mixed with an equally... Poorly constructed um, fugitive. Fugitive. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what it is. It's Eastern Promises meets the Fugitive, done on a tiny budget uh, in Monaco, um, and starring Kane and Keaton. And and it, it what's hilarious about it is 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 obviously once Keaton gets to Monaco, he gets impl implicated in a uh, quite a, a national crime. Um, and that's the way that these mobsters are curiously trying to get rid of him um, is by uh, uh, basically implementing him in a crime he didn't commit. Uh, and, and so it's in it, he's this like trumped up accountant. And on the front of the cover, it was something about like the fugitive meets Die Hard or something like that. I'm like, this accountant who sat getting his bum saggy in a big plush chair in New York, looking over ones and zeros. It's hardly going to be the John McClane running around the, the gutters of Monaco shooting at, at Russian mobsters. And actually, I was right. He's not... <laughs> I mean, he's well, resourceful. He's resourceful, but he's not Mr Action Man. He's not leaping from 
car to car or anything. Yeah. I mean, the thing that you have to say about the film is um, that, you know, when we pitch it like that, as Eastern Promises meets the Fugitive, it's a very promising idea. There's, there's, you know, yeah, that's, that's actually, that, that, that actually sounds like something that you might want to slip in the old um, DVD player. Um, and there are, um, like, things, there are glimmers throughout of a film it could be. Um, I think what's pleasing about it is uh, uh, that it's very much... It's based on a novel. Um, I haven't managed to write down uh, who the author was, but it's based on a novel. And this is very much one of those um, films which is the product of a sort of... Well, I'd be very surprised if this wasn't an accountant uh, loss adjuster's uh, wet dream. It's like I'm trapped in my miserable office and I'm fat and I'm old and I'm useless, wouldn't it be amazing if I was this incredibly driven, goes to the gym at 5 o'clock every morning, you know, totally packed guy who flies out to Monaco at the drop of a hat, meets a beautiful girl and busts up a people smoking ring. It's very much uh, a, a wet dream kind of a, kind of a movie. And, and it's, those, it's, it's those... written by Desmond Loudon, the book. Um, that's who wrote it. And uh, he's written... Um, uh, Bellman and True, The Real McCoy, starring Kim Basinger. Uh, and, and also, uh, he's probably a friend of Michael Caine's because he went on to write Shadow Run that Caine also starred, starred in in uh, uh, 1998. So, uh, in fact, it's directed by the guy, uh, uh, Quicksand is directed by the guy who made The Long Good Friday. So he's got to have been a friend of, like, Kane's got to be his buddy just through the Bob Hoskins connection. And I also think this he's... Is another, like, so this is another cognac and cigars yes. Michael Winner. Yeah. Uh, he also directed The Fourth Protocol, which has Michael Kane in it, right? Yeah. It's a Harry Palmer. Is it a Palmer novel, The Fourth Protocol? I think I think it's it's connected. I mean, it, I mean that's, it, I mean, that's actually not such a terrible CV. No, Long um, Good Friday and The Fourth Protocol, but then he goes on to to make quicksand um and uh and some tv movies which yeah. let's be fair oh but oh you'll like this as well sorry dude to keep you interrupting but you like this he made the tv movie paul mccartney take it away <laughs> so there's oh even God. a mccartney connection in the in the rat's nest that is the background <laughs> to this movie <laughs> yeah but I mean, you know, that's all of those. I mean, The Long Good Friday, which is just one of the greatest British films ever made, was right. originally started out as a TV movie. It had quite low production values. The thing, the thing which lets the film down most of all, it has to be said, more than anything, is the look of it. It, it, it it's almost like it's been put through a sort of grey uh, wash that make, it, it really doesn't look great. I mean, the direct, the, you, it's one of those things where the cameras, the lighting, everything is so out the back of a van in terms of um, quality that it, it, that it does kind of look like, I don't know about you, but there's no directorial flourish that can come out from it, like, at all. I can't think of a no. single moment that of, of interest in that respect. Like, for instance, The Long Good Friday has like one of the most extraordinary moments in British cinema, which is um, Bob Hoskins at the back of the car at the end and his face going through a whole range of emotions from defiance to acceptance to almost like the, you know, the whole terminal illness thing. Right. Um, but also think of the shots like when him and the policeman are walking down the quayside in London and there's that really long tracking shot that's amazing. And like um, yeah. just the long Good Friday, uh, the way it's made... Uh, 
is is you know is there are plenty of directorial flourishes and and quicksand even right down to the editing of the very last scene i think was a bunch of shots with a couple of famous actors that they were able to basically go look you'll get a free holiday in monaco you know what i mean <laughs> like that's how they conned it and and let's be fair two actors who at the in the early 2000s you know were not up to snuff like i don't think kane had yet uh, they were not busy Right, they were not he, had, busy. he had not yet come under the thrall of Nolan, who really kind of pumped blood back into the limp vein that was Kane's career at that point. Um, and and so uh, yeah, and so I think they've gone to Monaco, and you can see in the ending scene that it is compiled purely in the edit suite, like the actress and the actor, and none of that was filmed in the same room at all. And I think that. Uh, and, you know, and Kane was probably on set for this thing, you know, two two days, if that. They probably dragged him from the casino, still reeking of, you know, day-old scotch and cigars. And he went, all right, all right, I'll do it. You know, um, and uh, I think a lot of it is sort of compiled on the on the hoof, you know, um, with with probably... I wouldn't be surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Quicksand the movie wasn't funded the way that quicksand the movie within the movie is being funded like i wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't a tax dodge for some russian mobsters i really wouldn't be surprised <laughs> it's quite it, it is quite possible it does come across like that it does you're right it comes across as hastily assembled um and but you, but you know there are there are there are little there are there are little as i say there were glimmers in the film there's a moment where i mean and when i say glimmers these are ridiculous glimmers but but you know pleasing moments nonetheless there's a bit where because the the the, the fugitive plot arrives like because that's one of the great things about doing these reviews is when you start off watching the film sort of not exactly sure where it's going and it starts off and he's a compliance officer and he's flying out to monaco and michael Caine appears briefly and then disappears for an incredibly long amount of time and then suddenly this fugitive script just sort of plonks into the middle of it and you go oh and 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 there's a nice moment where almost at the drop of a hat he becomes an incredibly resourceful like police evading uh almost like resistance fighter in terms of his abilities which is utterly implausible there's a bit where he um i mean it's one of those things where it's introduced the, the way in which he's framed there's a moment where he goes out onto a balcony overlooking a scene, and it's a sort of, uh, it's basically a sort of Day of the Jackal kind of uh, assassination thing happening. Yeah. And there is a moment where he has a choice to make, where he's looking at a, partic- at a particular thing. Well, but let's just say that the, the, there's a gun lying down on the ground, and, and you immediately, as the viewer, go, well, don't pick up the gun. And what does he do? He picks up the gun straight away. But in that moment, you kind of know where the film is going. He doesn't, he doesn't of, just pick up the gun. He picks up the gun and spends forever looking at it. He's still holding it when the guy in question gets shot. You're like, yeah. once you hear the bang, dude, drop the fucking gun. Yeah, but the funny thing is, is, is that there's, you know, and it's one of those things where you begin to see, and, and you know, it's, it's the power of hindsight, but you begin to see where things could have gone. Like, he arrives at the hotel room because he's been invited by the drop-dead gorgeous girl who is... Um, 
his sort of liaison with the production company, who is slightly innocent, not really innocent of what's going on. And that, as the, you know, if, we're, if we're the, he was more of a schlubby compliance officer who has done this as a bit of a getaway from his miserable life and an incredibly beautiful girl invites him around to a flat and he goes, and it was a bit more blatant that he was going around because, well, isn't this all a bit exciting and different from the day-to-day? And there was a bit more of a, there was a bit more thought been put into how he was framed then, and he wasn't immediately such a lethal weapon at the moment that it happens, then, you know, you begin to take it in a bit more of an interesting place, as in a schlub put into the situation who manages over time to find some inner strength. Then then there perhaps there's something there. But and it I is think... rather they're so keen to get on with him being the fugitive, because it literally, immediately, he's chased by the police. And there's a moment where... He goes into a corridor and he grabs a fire axe off the wall and begins smashing all the lights out after him as he's running down this corridor. It's just, it's one of those moments, just like with the rifle, where you go, no, sorry, rein it back. All he's going to do is run screaming down that corridor because a corrupt copper has just tried to blow his brains out. He's not going to think to... And also, what does it achieve, blocking out the lights? They can still shoot down a dark corridor, Michael. Yeah, they can't see, but it is a corridor. And I, I also think that, that in a weird way, considering Harrison Ford is far more known as an action man than Michael Keaton is, um, they do a much better job in the movie of The Fugitive of, like, making him a little chubbier. Like, they dress him in, like, chubbier clothing, bigger jackets, bigger sweaters. They have that beard so that he um, looks a bit more schlubby and old at the beginning of the movie, and then over time... He has to lose the beard and dye his hair and everything. Like, it's a bit more believable in that movie that Harrison Ford goes from schlubby doctor to, you know, action man leaping off the falls than it is in this movie where you're right. The moment uh, uh, Keaton twigs what's going on, he's hiding in vats of oil. He's disguising himself as a road worker. He's... He knows to, to like uh, jump into a coach's luggage compartment rather than get on the coach, so that when the guy goes on the coach, he's able to dash out and run. A, like he knows all this stuff. Like he's never been to Monaco before either. Like he knows where everything is. He knows yeah. where he's going. <laughs> I would run out into the middle of the square and go, "Well, I don't know which one of these roads." Yeah, all to go I know there. how to do is ask the locals if they have any pets. Like that's <laughs> that's the only French yeah. I know. You know, right. I know like, how to say where the caravan park is. That's about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, what platform is the 1112 Denise? <laughs> <laughs> that I can ask, but yeah. you know, how do I get out of this city where the local police are trying to assassinate me is not in my in my vocab, my, my trickle or vocab. Also, also it's pretty it's pretty incredible like how how much like the plot it has one of those great things where it's set up as well hang on a second there's no like there's no way out of this. You know what I mean? Like short of uh, corralling all the Russian mobsters into a pig pen and getting the national news down there and somehow getting them all to admit what they did, um, because everyone involved in this is dropping like flies around him, there really is, like, the whole setup of, oh, how's he going to get out of this? There really isn't a way to get out of this, except the sort of flim flam. (laughs) loose like all falls apart like a bad flan in an oven kind of way that they do it and not only that but hoary hokey old cliche way that they eventually do it 
Well, and, and, and beyond that, the idea that this video testimony from this woman would have any legal weight. Like, if, you're, if you assassinate someone who is, is on the public payroll, right, he's a fairly big deal in this smallish community of Monaco. If you assassinate him, some bird on a grainy videotape cassette goes, he's totally innocent, honestly, is hardly going to carry massive weight. <laughs> no, but it's, but it's funny because it makes, it makes you think about things which are great about the fugitive. And, and, and what, I, what I always find um, interesting about the fugitive is when, is when I go back and watch it, I think, like, it's a, this is a weird film because I don't particularly like Harrison Ford in this film, but I am totally gripped. Like, it, it's, it's funny that way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not really on Harrison's side in many ways, but yet I am totally gripped. And I think it's things like, you know, they, it's like you said, the best for introducing that sense of him building to something. There's, you know, there's those early scenes about where, you know, when he's in the hospital and he's so, and he ravenously eats this sandwich. It's just these little things, you know, getting food, you know, changing appearance, you know, just figuring out that there are these little jobs he needs to do. Even the simplest thing is really hard to get done. And it's gripping and it's interesting. And in this, as we say, they're too impatient. They've, it's, it's, it's not had enough runs of the script is the main thing. It's another one of these things where the script has got to, what, a, a, a third draft, if we're being generous, and, and then they just run with it. And there's been at no point anyone said, let's really, let's give this another couple of goes. Like there's, there's, and it's one of those things, and it's something I always wang on about on this podcast, but it's, it, there are several moments in it where a zinger is required. And what they needed to do was to sit down, whoever's there, you know, director, bloody busboy, you know, tramp off the street and try and come up with some zings. There's one particular moment. The film has some very bad um, uh, sexual politics in it, but you could uh, address them. Yeah, that was all very grim. By... The way that was shown, like the, 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 the people trafficking and the pornography and all the rest of it was very, yeah. very grim. Yeah, well, it's another it one of these shown. things where it's another one of these things where they've gone like, oh, that's worked really well in you know in these films over here. So you know, and it's a bit grisly. So let's let's slap it in. But if you're not going to actually investigate that, you know, that scene, that reality at all, if you're purely going to use it as sort of spice to flick over your plot, then it is inevitably going to be going to feel. Uh, uh, like exploitation and like nasty exploitation, and when it, it and whenever it comes up, it's nasty. But there's one bit. Well, it's just where... it's just out of place. And I think what you're talking. First of all, it's just out of place. And secondly, I think what you're talking about, like when Keaton sees the result on the screen of this abuse, right? Because the implication is that these women have been drugged up, stripped naked, and basically, for one of a better word or worse word, raped on camera and then filmed, um, the, uh, Keaton just goes, see, look, this is what you're involved in, instead of being absolutely fucking horrified. And even, yeah. even when later on in the movie there's one more twist that we won't go into, but it does sort of take it into, quote-unquote, taken territory, Liam Neeson taken territory, when there's that twist, there's no sense of, like, urgency. Like, there's these people who are known for doing absolute grotesque things to women, 
And and when this twist happens, there, there's seemingly no sense of urgency, and it's just Kane and Keaton business as usual. Let's come up with this hokey hoary way to trap these people that wouldn't stand up in court for a fucking second, and it just like carries on, and it's yeah. sort of like so it's one of those things feels... where you just feel like you know if you or I or Jim or or any you know anyone who follows the Diner Facebook page was was given the script and went and, and was told you know like go over it. What you'd probably do the first thing you'd say, well, lose lose the people smoking. You're not going into it seriously. This is you know this is a slapdash caper movie. Lose that. Make them bloody drug dealers or something. You know, like or arms dealers or something like that. It does. It's, it's, there's just no need for it to be people smoking. You're not investigating in a serious way, so it's just nasty. So ditch that. The other thing is, is, is like I say, there's a distinct lack of zingers. And there's one moment which is again connected to this schlub. Um, sort of growing into something else potential that the film has there's a bit where he's this girl who um is his liaison is uh he, he, they go back to her flat or something and they go, go into her dressing room and they're going to change because i don't know they're covered in mark or whatever it is no they go to the costume department of and, the film set that's what it is okay whatever. but they're, they're in they're in they're in this they're, they're in this sort of large sort of wardrobe area and she says oh, I'm going to go up and change and, and he says oh, oh no you're not leaving my sight change in front of me kind of thing which is another one of those things that makes you go like, you know like yeah. is this really necessary kind of thing but, yeah. it, but she then says uh, as she's changing in front of him she says like oh are you enjoying yourself right and he comes up and he comes up with this line about like oh yeah yeah I'm being chased by the police and blah 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 and you think that, and it sinks horribly, and you think that moment could have been rescued by a basically by if if Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne had been there, he would have had a really good line, you know, like a line about, "Are you fucking kidding me? I am. I've been framed up for you know being shot at, and I'm on the run from corrupt police, and I'm stuck in a country where I can't speak the language. You know, you could have strung together a nice little three-part line there that could have been a real zinger and relieved the moment and made it like, you know, and made something happen between them and something that she sort of respects and makes it not voyeuristic and something else. Now, obviously that's massive hindsight and all the rest of it, but it is one of those things where you feel like this it's this thing that seems to be missing in a huge amount of these movies is it feels like they'd really be rescued by them going like, do you know what? Two weeks before we make this thing, I'm just going to run the script by, you know, Ted, that mate of mine who has come up with some good lines in the past or whatever, and just say to Ted, like, can you just give me your opinion and say if we should add in some lines here? And it could really bring it up a notch, you know, not into anything special, but it really could help. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, and it, def it definitely needs... Uh, it definitely needs that, it, and, and it's odd considering it's Michael Keaton that it doesn't have that. And like I say, the it, it feels very much like someone said to Keaton, "Don't worry, you'll get a free holiday in the south of France, and all you have to do is sort of read these lines and look bemused sometimes." You know, um, I, I I think that the other the biggest problem for me uh, with the movie was the fact that I think once you got to Monaco. Uh, there was a strong setup, and I feel like 
And I would be, I mean, of course, there's never going to be a sort of behind the scenes of this movie because I'm sure everyone involved has long since divorced from it. Well, it would just but, be Russians selling drugs. Right. Uh, yeah, it's probably like just scenes of Kane being dragged out of casinos and, and or, or Kane going, now listen, uh, John McKenzie, the guy who's directed this movie, have you met my Russian friend Olaf? He is going to give you buckets of cash and we're going to make this uh, little caper here that I've been reading on holiday. Um, it's probably is exactly... I, I would go, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Him and Mackenzie were sat around going, this is nice, isn't it? How about we get paid to do this for three weeks? I bet that's exactly what happened. Um, and uh, some Russian guy who was on holiday they went, I will pay for it as long as you are in the movie. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, I feel like it's got a strong setup, and I feel like the second half of the movie was constructed in uh, the edit suite and constructed on the hoof. That's how it feels. The, 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 especially the final act. The final act is, is so close to, like, wobbling and completely <laughs> falling apart. <laughs> like, I've never... I've, nev I've actually never watched a film... The, where the last act felt so much like someone playing Jenga and any minute you could pull something out and the whole fucking thing would collapse. I know exactly what you mean, but at the same time, when uh, they... Um, when Kane finally returns to the film, because it's a very weird thing, because he, he, he appears at the beginning and then twice, as you say, sort of in a casino, <laughs> and then... And the, but but that's it. He's away for, apart from these flashing appearances, he's away for a good forty minutes, if not a bit more. And then he comes back at the end, and there's this little flash of a moment of Kane and Keaton teamed up, right? Which which makes you go like, oh, I could really have used them being teamed up for the whole film, right? Um, that even could have like, really been something. Even the best fight scene in the whole movie is between yeah, and Kane that and is Keaton. Good. That is good. There's a good fight scene. There's okay. a good, like, I would say this film is worth seeing for a couple of things. I would. And I agree with, barely, like... Barely. Yeah, but, I mean, it's available on YouTube in the UK and it's available on voodoo.com for a small rental fee of, like, two quid or something. Um, so you can check it out in the, in, in the US. And it is available as well. Lionsgate put out a DVD of it, which I think is five bucks or whatever. And... It's not unworth that. Like, if you're a fan of either of the leads... Actually, I would say, if you're a fan of Michael Caine being Michael Caine, rent the movie. If, if you're a fan of Michael Keaton, you're most likely going to be disappointed because this is not one of his signature twitchy, quirky, fun roles. This is very much him going through the motions. There's not even, yeah. there's not even like, one of those wild-eyed raised eyebrow, back off man kind of Keaton moments. There isn't even that, you know what yeah. I mean? And so even the moments... Sorry, there's a siren going by, hang on. E even in the moments where he's meant to be angry and where he's meant to be strung out and where he's meant to be stressed and where he's meant to just be seeing this awful shit, Keaton never really kind of comes out of his shell. It's like a little... That's a little frustrating for me. 
Where, yeah. where was Kane? Kane has a good shouty moment. Kane has a good like. They've used me as an idiot. Like there's a really great yeah. Kane. But again, his lines about, don't like. ever really come together. But it's a bit. It's a bit scrappy, and he never really gets. You know, if you'd have just, it's like I say, if you'd just gone over it a couple of times, like his, like when he comes out, it would really lift it a lot. You know, a lot of it's in the language and and, and everything, and and it does feel, it it really does feel like a like a second or third draft. It feels like the you've gotten to the end, and then you've gone over it once to make it kind of stick together. Then you've gone over it again to make it, you know, to put a few plasters over a few yawning gaps, and that's it. You know. No one has done the draft to go like, okay, now let's let's take it, let's make this all that it can be. No one's done that because, of course, it is one of those things where if you started to pick at threads, this whole thing would come. <laughs> like you say, like it's a Jenga thing. It would like you pick at one thing and the whole thing's going to come crashing down. But you just have to. I just feel like they should have just ignored. I would have far rather watched something a shitload more entertaining with a shitload more good lines that when you finish the film, or even when you're watching it, you go, well, that doesn't work, and you sort of scoff at every now and then. That's right. at least entertaining. Yeah, I mean, look, if it was sort of within the first half an hour, Kane and Keaton had joined forces and were running all over Europe doing bonkers stuff, and at some point, Kane's stunt double was, like, hanging off a train, I would have been <laughs> all for that. Like, do you remember when we watched Blue Ice... And there were two yeah. things about it that were great. One was, like, the direction, because Russell Mulcahy is, like, insane with the Dutch angles and the lightings. So that was all fun. And then there was also, like, a bit where Kane's uh, wheezy stunt double got to do, like, a bunch of jumping and running and shooting. Yeah, but it also had it also had exactly the same thing we're talking about here in terms of there's this whole other film with Kane, where Kane and Bob Hoskins are in an action film in London. Like, right, right, that's right. what Blue Eyes should have been. No, completely. I think this could have been two films. Now, the other film we'll talk about later in, in relation to one of the questions we had. Okay. But, one of the, but one of the films this could have been is Kane and Keaton as an action duo with a lot more snappy lines, you know, like a, someone does a Shane Black on it with some lines and gives them guns from a much earlier point. And, uh, you know, and they tool up and, and fight the Russian mafia in Monaco with a few car chases thrown in. I mean, they couldn't even afford a car chase, could they? There wasn't no, even a car chase. Not, e- not even a, a couple of two CVs being pushed out of hill. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's nothing at all. Um, and, in fact, yeah, if it had, like, a Ronan-esque style uh, car chase in the middle of it, you would have at least been going, well, okay, all right, you know, there you go then. You know, excellent i got to tell you, it, it also does one of, the, one of the most pleasing things possible for an American film to do for an Englishman, which is it does the, the classic British geography thing, because like Hollywood's British geography is London, Scotland, White Cliffs of Dover. Like, that's what Britain is. Right. And, in, and they have this entirely pointless thing, with, as you say, the Taken flashback, or the Taken element of it, and a part of this, they cut to England. There's this whole thing that he's got a kid in England. That's never explained. That's all just weird that he's got a kid in England. And they're fighting horses along the White Glyphs of Dover, which is, it always makes me hoot that. It's a, they, they love having horses on the White Glyphs of Dover. Well, I think, yeah, and, and you can tell that, I mean, first of all, you can tell that the daughter is English just by the looks of her. But like the. The, the, the teeth. What? The teeth. Well, yeah, everything about her. She's just like. <laughs> A little English brat, but like the 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 um, 
The, and also, it's hilarious because, I mean, did they... Look, look, I'm the first to say that I don't need lots of pretty people in my movie. So please, uh, understand that's not what I'm saying. But did they honestly go out and try and find, like, the most awkward, nerdy-looking girl to play his daughter? Because she is a shocker when it comes... Like, it's just awful. Anyway, the, the woman playing his ex-wife, who now lives in England with some lord or something, I don't know, lives, who owns the White Cliffs or something, <laughs> who knows what's going on there. But, like... <laughs> His ex-wife is clearly played by an English actress. I'm like, you couldn't have found an English act like all the people out of RADA. First of all, you couldn't have found an American living in London who could have done the three lines of dialogue that this woman has. And sec, like the worst American accent of any. I was just like, listening to it, just going. Is she doing? Is she doing an American accent? She's meant to be doing an American when she has that phone call. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, when she has that phone conversation with him and like says like, "Don't make promises you can't keep," kind of thing. Um, which, again, is never paid off at the end. Like, I thought the end was going to be, you know, reconciliation with the daughter and the whole thing and blah, 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 blah. And then the end is this weirdly tacked-on romantic. The two actors are clearly not in the same room and it's clearly built in the in the edit suite kind of ending, which just fucking stuck out like a... Let, let, not just a sore thumb, but a thumb that's been sawn through the middle and is dangling off at the stem. Like, it was really bad. Um... <laughs> But no, yeah, so that whole, uh, the English thing and the, the, the wife and the kid, none of that, like you're right, none of that matters. What it was meant to be, it was meant to be the reason why he was going to Monaco because um, uh, uh, Secretary Exposition, the woman at the beginning, who there's a whole scene at the beginning where his pregnant secretary walks through the office with the new temp who's going to be, there's all this extraneous <laughs> bullshit. You don't need to, what, what was that all about? You don't need to know any of this. But anyway, she walks through the office training the new temp who's going to be taken over for her while she goes off on maternity leave. She has the baby, by the way, in a matter of minutes <laughs> with no stress or strain whatsoever. But um, she's walking through the office and she's literally laying out every single person's character so that the rest of the movie can just play out. Like, at no point in the rest of the movie is any of their characters ever developed beyond secretary exposition going through the office in the morning going, yeah, that's Jeff. Jeff really likes ham and was married. <laughs> is no longer married. He's got a French mistress, plays dominoes. Like, that's Bill. He used to be with the CIA, but he's no longer with the CIA, and now he works in loss adjusting. Like, it just went on. I was like, it was and it was at that point that i was like okay even if this movie does have a few good moments in it and 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 even though you're right like someone like keaton should have said listen i'm going to improvise a few zingers keep them if you want or don't if you don't but like this script needs patching up right here and there even if um uh uh he didn't do that i knew we were in for a bumpy ride right at the beginning with um, the scriptwriter thinking the best way to introduce me to all these people is have an extraneous <laughs> temp on maternity leave character. Like, I don't yeah, who never to... appeared again. The, te- the temp to... just was just like being talked about stuff. And she was introduced as if she was going to play this central role. And then she just buggered off and never also, appeared again. Also, apparently, if an American national is in Monaco and is accused 
by the international media of shooting a head of police there, right? Apparently, the FBI will show up at your office, ask a temp a few questions, and then go, well, I guess nothing's happening here, and bugger off. Like, nobody does anything. There's all these people sat around in an office in New York having questions and conversations that are utterly irrelevant. Yeah, and, like, and it does do this thing, like you say, of mocking itself, because you know, like the whole thing about like this probably was like Russian gun smugglers like funding this film. <laughs> there's this, there's a the thing where, where where Kane actually actually has a line which is, "I'm making a film, and they're paying me a shitload." <laughs> And you go, yes, that's what's happening, isn't it, Michael? That is what is happening. That's why you're there. Yeah. You are, you are, you are there, being paid a shitload. That's yeah. what's happening here, and it's actually in the film. It's amazing. Yeah, no, the whole quicksand within the movie quicksand, uh, which, by the way, quicksand again. I, I mean, I guess like, oh, I'm being dragged down deeper or something. <laughs> but it's a bullshit title, but because um, it should just be, you know. The Fugitive or something. Like, it should just be some awful mockbuster title or, like, The Fugitive 2 or something. I don't know. But um, uh, the uh, uh, movie within a movie, like, just makes no... Like, it just makes no sense whatsoever, any no. of it. Um, uh, but I do... I also really like that actor who shows up as the Russian... Uh, um, yeah, he's a guy, Oleg. Yeah. Uh, his name there's, is. There's a fabulous bit. There's a fabulous bit with Oleg where after he's kidnapped, because um, I'm just going to say, no, no one's going to watch this piece of shit. There's, there's a bit where Oleg is sat at a um, table after he's kidnapped Keaton's daughter <laughs> and he's sitting there like eating his breakfast goulash or whatever. And the camera pans, <laughs> he's got the daughter tied to a chair at his breakfast table. <laughs> and just think it's like, is, that, is the table set? Yeah, is the, is the hostage ready? <laughs> I'm not going to have breakfast without the hostage sat there with me at breakfast. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Yeah, that was absolutely... Well, again, that is one of those things where they're like, well... Do we film a sequence where the henchman goes down, gets the daughter from another room where she's in a dungeon or whatever, blah, 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 blah. No, no, scrap all that. Like, Mackenzie's gone, scrap all that. Just tie the daughter to the breakfast chair <laughs> and away we go. Like, that's just how... think there was an actual, you know, compliance officer following Mackenzie around going, no, I'm sorry, but we haven't got the money for that. <laughs> You've got this room for four hours. <laughs> that's kind of what you've got. Like, like one of our films or something. Like that's what they are. Like, can, we not, can we not film something? Can we not get a dungeon? No, 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 no dungeons. You've, no. You've, you've, you've spent all your money on Kane. Yeah. <laughs> you know, on Kane's bloody cognac supply alone, you've blown your dungeon budget. But it, I think I think that's the 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 biggest shame for this movie. And and funnily enough, it's another. It's a shame for another uh, wasted opportunity, which was when Michael Weta got Roger Moore and Michael Caine to be in a movie, which is the infamous Bullseye. And that is, you have these two people, both of whom are known for doing, uh, or can be known for doing pretty fun things in movies and pretty decent like stuff in movies and pretty enjoyable stuff in movies. And instead of finding some sort of 
you know, trans-European romp for them to be in, where they're, like, quipping wise and punching mobsters, you have this somewhat cheap, ponderous thing where the most Kane does is either show up in bed with a beautiful woman or show up in a casino quaffing alcohol. Uh, you know, and it, it, it's sort of a bit of a shame. You're kind of like, uh, you kind of dropped the ball there and you really, you know, you really should have done more for the big Keaton Kane. Like, little did they know when they were making Quicksand that this would be the pinnacle of our podcast. But basically, you know, they were they were both in the doldrums and this is, is, a, is a doldrum you know, event. And, and, and I'll tell you, if, if, I, if I let you know that when... Um, uh, let me bring this back up again quickly. When Quicksand was first released, it went straight to video. Uh, obviously, it didn't have a, a, a cinema release anywhere. Um, but it was released straight to video. It had its video pr- premiere in uh, Denmark. Uh, then when... <laughs> not kidding. Uh, it, took an ent- it took an entire year for it to come out in uh, France, where it came out straight to TV. Didn't even get a DVD release in France. Uh, got a TV uh, premiere in Poland uh, three months before I got a TV premiere in France. I lo- Like, I have to say, for IMDb, I couldn't give a bollocks about the big movies. I love little in- information like yeah, this I came out it. on DVD in Finland on the 10th of January in 2003. That I like to know. Didn't come out in the USA or the UK. Uh, well, it didn't come out in the USA till March. and didn't come out in the UK until November. So this languished for for about a year before the American distribution even gave it a look in. So that tells you kind of all you need to know, really. Because people yeah. were not clamoring for a Kane and Keaton mix-up in uh, or match-up in 2003, clearly. Well, uh, I think I think at that point we should move on to our to our big stack of questions. Yes, we <laughs> should definitely. And I think we've sort of said like. If you're a fan of Kane or Keaton and you really want to sort of uh, spend an hour and a half watching a fairly shoddily made, could have been more fun, fugitive ripoff, then you could do worse than Quicksand. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, then. So before we go on to listeners' questions, just interrupting the podcast just a little bit to say if you've been enjoying this show, and if you haven't, I'm sure you're not even listening to this bit at this point. So if you've got this far, hopefully you are still enjoying it. And in which case, you may be sitting around going, you know what, this guy puts out content every single day and every single week, and uh, I want to keep this old website going. Well, uh, we are doing a huge redesign, and we are going to be relaunching a whole bunch of stuff, and we uh, do need your help and support. So please go over to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash aftermoviediner and sponsor the show, or indeed go to aftermoviediner.com and hit the donate button button on the website uh, or indeed you can go over to miscplumbingfixtures.bandcamp.com buy one of our albums uh, or you can go over to spotify look up miscellaneous plumbing fixtures and stream some of our albums any of that will help support sponsor and continue the after movie diner website and podcast and all the other affiliate things that we do uh, so if you like any of that stuff please go ahead and do that uh, also uh, if you want a free way to support us share this podcast share it amongst your friends share it amongst your family share it amongst strangers on the street do whatever you can 
can to get people uh, to listen to the show. Share it on Facebook, share it on social media, rate and review the show wherever you find it. Uh, just tell uh, someone, one person a day, about AfterMovieDino.com, and that would really, really, really help. And with all that, back to your questions. Uh, so we got a couple of questions the other day, and um, so we'll start with them, and then I'll go through the long ones. So let's start with Peter Pedro Osmond, who asks uh, a rather insane question, uh, Peter, but if you could have chocolate buttons for nipples or <laughs> nipples for eyes, what would you choose? Uh, I understand that, right? I'm just going to go chocolate buttons for nipples Choc because nipple, nipples for eyes is just a, a horrific <laughs> image that, that disturbed me when I saw it. So, also, yeah. would nipples for eyes, like, would they work as eyes but look like nipples or would you just be blinded with nipple eyes? Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go for chocolate buttons for nipples. Also, why is it that I strangely think we've answered that question before? I, I, is that, I don't know. Anyway. So, uh, Jim, uh, your brother and my regular co-host, uh, asks, what movies should Kane and Keaton have been in together? Uh, to which Dean Garman uh, answers, I think, a little ingeniously, uh, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Returns, meaning we all love Keaton as Batman. But um, which, which film do you think, Kane, either of Kane's uh, career and or of Keaton's career, would you like to have seen them paired up in? Well, I have a slightly different answer. First of all, I think the... Um uh, the Batman idea is a is an excellent idea. I would have I I loved Michael Keaton as Batman. I just absolutely loved him. He's far more likable than um, than you other man. Um, but what this is this is what I was uh, referring to earlier. I think that it would have been great if they'd have done a Fugitive Two instead of U.S. Marshals, where Michael Keaton is in London. And Michael Caine is the copper catching the fugitive in London because I just when I when I saw this I was like I really like them you know being in the same film together yeah. and it would have <clears> given <throat> you know do, do a proper fugitive two with Michael Keaton not as a loss adjuster <laughs> or whatever it's like you know like come up with something a bit more interesting yeah not like quantity surveyor goes old, rogue. Yeah, Michael Michael Caine as a gnarled old like London copper set mm. to track him down, and they could go all over it. You can have White Cliffs if you like, you can have Scotland if you like, and um, chasing him around Britain that would have been excellent. Yeah, I mean, I I just think like Caine and Keaton, the one similarity they have is that when they're good, they're really good, and when they're bad, you kind of go, "Come on, guys," you know what I mean? Like, just come on, we know you're better than this. Um, so, uh, I mean, at least the director is a friend of Kane, so at least we got some shouty Kane, which, which I enjoyed. But uh, which movie did I want to see them in? I mean, um, I like the Batman idea, uh, but of all of Kane's uh, movies and all of Keaton's movies, I, I, would, I would like to have seen them <clears throat> in The Italian Job 2. Rather than an Italian Job remake, you do The Italian Job 2, uh, where they're both like driver crook guys, I would have gone with that. Where they were sort of having lots of banter and driving. Yeah, that'd be and, good. Uh, I'm with you. I just want to see them do banter. Really, I just want them bantering and punching people on trains. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I would. It's I, just I, what I saw of, of Keaton as on the run, like dressed as a cleaner and like running through European city kind of a thing. I was like, I could go for that if it was done properly. Like I could really go for him as a fugitive. And <clears throat> Kane should not be some washed about. Kane, Kane as a as doing a proper cop part, which I'm not sure he's ever really done. Like do, do a copper part. Right. Null Scotland Yard guy tracking him down. I would have really gone for that. I would have really gone for that as well. But as in terms of like any movie they've actually done, would I like to have put Kane in the role? <clears throat> I think Batman's probably the best answer we're going to get. Because, yeah, I mean, although I love Goff as, as uh, Alfred. I thought Michael Goff was really good as Alfred. So maybe I don't want to lose Goff. Um, I don't know. I need to get, have way more time, and I can't think off the top of my head. But I, I like your idea. Anything in which they're chasing each other and or running around together, possibly dressing up in funny hats. Um, so then, <laughs> next question. David Brighton asks, some films get better the more you see them. Some don't hold up to a second viewing. But if you could wipe your memory of it and watch one film again for the first time, what would it be? Now, <clears throat> I think this is a really great question. However, however, I think that the danger with it is... For example, I loved watching Army of Darkness for the first time. Like, watching Army of Darkness for the first time, I was like, this is the kind of character I've always wanted to see on film. These are the kind of lines I've always wanted to see on film. Like, this was awesome. But if I wiped that from my memory, but kept all the other movies that I've watched since then, and then re-watched Army of Darkness now, my response would be completely different, because it wouldn't be the formative experience that it was, it would be tarnished with the fact that I've now subsequently seen lots of movies in which there are sort of wisecracking anti-heroes and blah, 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 blah. It's just when I was 13 and I saw that one, I hadn't seen all the movies that I've seen now. So I think that while it's a fascinating question and the, your, your immediate jump to is to find one of your favourite films that you really enjoyed watching and think about seeing it again, um... I actually think the first time I saw a lot of movies inform what it is that I love about those movies. So I wouldn't necessarily want a do-over. Um, I think what I would pick is probably a film that I didn't like the first time and then subsequently have kind of grown to like, maybe. Um, and maybe I'd want to watch that for the first time with hindsight. But do you have an answer for this, too? Well, I know exactly, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Um, but I think I could I think I could pick one that would not affect that thing of as you say formative experience because I think a film like Monty Python and the Holy Grail I could have watched all the rest of Monty Python and have had exactly the same Monty Python thing and if mm. and if someone just took out Holy Grail if I somehow was ignorant of the Holy Grail and the Holy Grail was given to me afresh that would be a heck of a something because I can quote that film from start to finish. I can quote that thing to the extent that there is almost no point in watching it now because <laughs> right. I can just, I just know every single beat of that film. Yeah. And it's so bloomy and it's remains my favorite Monty Python film because it, because of the way it looks, because it does so well on such a cheap budget and all the rest of it completely blew me away. But if I'd have had life of Brian, if I'd have had meaning of life, if I'd have had series one through three, I'd have had, you know, Balti Towers and, and all the sp other spin-off stuff, I could happily have suddenly had Holy Grail produced for me now, and I'd be a very happy boy indeed. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good choice. That is a really good choice because it's not it's not informed by anything else. Although you know, if I'd seen for example though uh uh Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles and like Robin Hood Men in Tights and stuff like that and then I saw Holy Grail. Um but no, I mean it's still it's still an original enough and bonkers enough movie that I think that would work. Um, but no, I can't I can't think off the top of my head. But it's a really good question, Dave. Uh, okay, so David asked a second question. If I'm allowed a second, have you seen any films that you wish you hadn't? Not in a that was a waste of two hours type way. We've all had plenty of those. Or losing the remote when an Adam Sandler movie is up next. But one that actually had a negative impact on your enjoyment of film in general. Yeah, that's a really tricky one. Um, I, 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 I can, all that I could think of in those experiences were... Um, I can, I, they, they pretty much all fall under the, you know, that was a waste of two and a half hours of my life kind of a thing. I mean, I can think of, for instance, I had a particularly unpleasant experience <laughs> when I came back from, I was really, you know, it was one of those early 20s jobs that you can't stand and you come back, for, you know, working in a bar and you come back at three in the morning and I was living with my mum after uni and everything. And I came back and I watched the original German Funny Games, um, which is just one of... And it was at 2 o'clock in the morning. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And it was just... In fact, the Germans, in fact, produced both these albums I can think of. There was that, which was just... You know, it, it, it's, it's an accomplishment, but what it accomplishes, I don't know that it really adds anything to our, to our lives apart from sort of despair and ennui. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. the other example of that I can think of is one time I sat hambled down to watch The White Ribbon um, because I think Kermode had recommended this or something. And again, it was just horrible. It was just a horrible, horrible thing. Um, so uh, that's, the, that's the best way I can answer that question is just in terms of things which are just so horrible. Because I can think of other films that are horrible that, strangely, I, I, I wouldn't regret having seen. I mean, even though Irreversible is, like, a, a supremely horrible film, it, it at least has um, a way of, like, that crazy way of telling the story that makes you go, oh, my God, this is completely bananas. But the Germans have produced films that have made me just despairing. And, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, um, you, you know, there are lots of directors that I liked originally that have now subsequently gone on to make films that irk me, people like Tarantino and so on. But it, no, nothing that has ever made me give up on film in general or even look at film in general a different way because... Even just today, I watched the movie from the early 60s that I, I got on a Blu-ray screener called Pit Stop. And I was just absolutely blown away by the cinematography, by the music, by the, by the acting. So I don't think there's anything that would ever destroy film for me in general. The closest I have is actually a movie I've never seen and I refuse to see. And that's the Evil Dead remake. And the, the, to explain very quickly, obviously I was a huge Bruce Campbell fan, a huge Evil Dead fan... Um, and and even through all the shitty straight-to-video movies Bruce did and bad cameos on TV shows and a whole seven series of Burn Notice where I was like, 
yeah, but close, but no cigar. Like, he could have been so much better, but I sat and watched the whole thing. Like, I was a huge, 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 huge fan. And the Evil Dead remake came out. First of all, that was a kick in the gut because they, the three guys produced it. Sam, Bro Rob, and Bruce produced it, who made the original, which really bothered me. But then secondly, he went up in conventions and basically blamed the fans. Like, he was basically like, you wanted another Evil Dead, we gave you one, tough. And he was a jerk about it. He was just a flat-out jerk about it. And he could have been much better about it. He could have gone, look, I have kids who need to go to college or... Um, if I wasn't producing it, um, Sam and Rob would have done it without me. At least I felt like I could have somehow guided it better by being there and stuff like that. Like, he could have said any number of things, and instead he was an arsehole about it. And that put the kibosh on me watching Bruce stuff for the longest time. And it wasn't until I got together with Kim and we watched the Evil Dead TV shit series and we rewatched. Um, a couple of the movies that he made for Sci-Fi Channel that Kim hadn't seen and some other stuff that I slowly rekindled my flame with, with Bruce Campbell. But that was an instance where a film that I haven't even seen destroyed a, a genuine love of stuff. Like, every time I went to my shelf and I looked at my Bruce Campbell collection, I couldn't bring myself to watch any of them, even ones that I consider classics, because the bad taste was left in my mouth. So that's, that's the best example I have there of a movie that almost wrecked film and Bruce for me, which was one I haven't even seen and refused to see. Um, so Mark Burns asks, if you could pick one film to get an all-singing, all-dancing, extra-special, shiny, golden edition release on Blu-ray, what would it be? You, you John. Um, that's a tricky one. I think it would have to be one of my um, sort of weird, more random films that I that I really really love because I just I I I just I'd love to know a bit more about it. So um, I did have a think about that one, and I thought I'd really love if there if there you know if there were extras to be had and there was stuff to be seen, I would really love to have an all singing, all dancing, real men with um, right, Jim Belushi. Right, that's a great because, one. That's a great yeah. one. Yeah, because real real men was like my was one of the VHSs that I used to take off my shelf and look at and just sort of grin because I always felt like it's one of those films that a lot of people, you know, the kind of film that a lot of people have where you're sort of like, this is my little discovery, this like not many people know about this. And it's an absolute fucking gem. So I, I'd go for real men with Jim Belushi and um, who's the other guy in it? Uh, uh, John Ritter. Yeah. Hi, I'm Bob Wilson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> love that movie. In fact, yeah, I mean, there's loads of movies like that that you and I used to watch growing up. The Burbs, but I think The Burbs has subsequently had an all-singing, all-dancing release in the UK anyway, I think. Arrow has done a, a Burbs release. Um, but for me, it's two movies. Uh, Brain Candy, Kids in the Hall. I know they fucking hated making it. I know they, like, had real problems at the time, but they, they, they have, they've almost now, with recent interviews about it, because I think it was like 20 years old recently or something, and I think they've kind of, it's the thing around their neck that they've learned to love um, over time, but I think I would absolutely love an all-singing, all-dancing version of Brain Candy, and the other one uh, is uh, Sir Henry at Rawlinson End. I want, I want every last scrap of Viv Stanchel on video put on an all-singing, all-dancing Viv Stanchel box set with Sir Henry is the thing. I don't care. Get Neil Innes to do a commentary. Get like fucking the the people who produced it to do a commentary. Get I don't know. Show clips of Trevor Howard on set. Like anything, 
anything. I just want uh, an all singing, all dancing Sir Henry. That would be incredible. Um, That's a goodie. That's a goodie. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, there's a question did you hide the remote on purpose when Jack and Jill came on TV I think that's a reference to Adam Sandler movie so I don't know um, Mark Byrne says and in the same vein if you could curate a film festival at your local theatre over a weekend what films would you show and why do you, do you have any answers for this John because I, I have an answer um, <clears throat> I think I'd if I was going to if I was going to curate it would either be um stuff that you know it would either be those sort of choices about little hidden gems that perhaps i think people you know some people basically i'd i'd get alex cox age however old he was when he was doing um movie drone to front a movie festival where he does weird little introductions to each film and i do things like you know candy mountain real men um oh candy mountain get an all singing all dancing version of candy yeah. mountain uh, I, you know, Frenzy Betty Coyle, um, Beat the Devil is a is a great movie. Um, Lorraine Margot, um, Thirteen Assassin, like film, film, just films that I had absolutely no idea about and and really blew me away as a sort of thing, you know, like a theme of films that I had never heard of and I came across and blew me away. Or I'd have to go the other option and do the films that whether I just couldn't stop watching films when between the age of like 16 and 22 because there was a real core of films and it's and when I was actually writing down earlier I thought blimey that is um you know they're actually quite big films in many ways but it would be things like uh, the core was stuff like Train Spotting, Usual Suspects, Big Lebowski, Out of Sight, Royal Tenenbaums, Fear and Loathing. You know, it's the, 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 they they were the films that I could just watch again and again and again and again. Yeah, and I think Fear and Loathing and The Big Lebowski and a couple of others already kind of get screened at, at sort of retro houses oh, yeah. here in, in, yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. New York a lot. So, um, but no, the the the. Um, I, I could answer this like a million different ways. You know what I mean? I could do a Pam Greer-a-thon. I could do a Cynthia Rockroth-a-thon. Like, there's a whole bunch of, of sort of different um, things that I would do. Um, I would personally, if I if I only got the one chance, um, I would want to do that if it was over a weekend. The first day would be all uh, Don Dola movies. Um, uh, especially Blood Massacre and uh, Alien Factor and Fiend. They would definitely be the, the core three that I would want screened of Don Dola movies. Um, and then I would want a, um, a retrospective of my friends, uh, Charlie and Farley, who make um, Don't Let the River Beast Get You and Manch Vegas and, and uh, uh, Freaky Farley. And I'd love to see them on the big screens, ending out with, of course, Slingshot Cops coming out this fall with me in it. Uh, <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, so yeah, I would like to kind of shine a light on um, maybe one one day would be Baltimore filmmaking, so I could include a couple of the other gems like uh, um, President's Day and Witches Brew and some other ones that I really like from from Baltimore. Um, and uh, and then the second day would be a, a Motor and Media Shock Marathons Day, just because I would love to like shine a light on those guys. Um, however, if I was going to pick sort of um, a, a whole collection of different movies, then I would definitely screen uh, Sir Henry. I would definitely screen Blood Massacre. I would definitely screen 
um, uh, Above the Law, the Cynthia Rothrock Hong Kong movie, um, Candy Mountain, like those kind of those. Kind the of other things. thing, the other thing which we would do together is we would do a Woods and Weller. Um, oh, screen. I mean, fuck yes. And, yes. and we would do Blue Jean Cop and we would oh, do... Oh, God, yeah. I would uh, do a Glickenhouse fest. I could do a Glickenhouse yeah. fest over... I would have McBain and Blue Jean Cop. I mean, there's too many. The Exterminator, like, there's too many. I could... I should just own a movie theatre and that that I, that should just be my job. I really should <laughs> be my job to curate it. Um, uh, or someone should bring me in and I should go, nope. Don't show fucking Ghostbusters as a midnight movie. I know you want bums on seats, but Ghostbusters was a huge blockbuster movie. It's not a B-movie. Get it off the fucking thing and put on a decent B-movie no one's heard of that might actually gain an audience from it. Just like uh, with the Duke Mitchell movies, um, Gone with the Pope and uh, uh, Murder Ma uh, Massacre Mafia style, I came across those because it was a totally bonkers midnight screening at um, the landmark, and I, I fell in love with it. And every month, Kim and I go to the Nighthawk, which is here in Brooklyn, and they do a screening of a movie that only lived its life on 42nd Street for like a week or two weeks back in the day when 42nd Street was, was the thing. And we have seen so many movies that we've come out of and either gone, well, that was weird, or we've come out of and gone, that was amazing, or we've come out of it and gone, I didn't like that one. But we've had so many experiences where we're just like, that was really great. And I would want to create a festival where people would come in and be like, you know what? They weren't all classics, but I definitely want to see more of that one and that one and that one. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing where people are discovering new things. So that, that would definitely be one of the things that I'd want to try and build into my um, uh, weekend of movies. Uh, but it would, be, it would definitely be a bucket list thing. I would definitely love to curate a film festival for a weekend. Uh, Ian Brown asks, what is your version on string theory and can I get a quote? I don't, answer, I don't understand that. You're the sci-fi writer. Do you understand anything about that? No? No. Grant Nock asks, what is your favourite movie genre and why? Um, well, I should I should say science fiction, um, and I love loads of science fiction from Invasion of the Body Snatchers all the way up to you know um, Aliens or what have you. But actually, I think perhaps my favourite is because when I was writing down the um, uh, you know the favourite movies, I, I think maybe my favourite movie genre is crime. Actually, I think I really like crime movies. I, they, they tend to be the ones that I, you know, like Out of Sight, like um, Usual Suspects, older stuff like Rear Window, like Bad Day at Black Rock, like sort of thrillers, like crime thrillers. I think I, 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 I can really get into in a big way. Yeah, I mean my my favourite <clears throat> my favourite type of story is the detective story. And, and, and I, I can watch detective stories, so crime, murder, whatever. I can watch those, whether, they, whether it's like Zodiac, like where they don't find out who it is, but it's just incredibly cool and in-depth, or JFK is another one like that that's kind of sprawling and there's like a detective story, or something traditional like Sherlock Holmes or Inspector Morse or whatever. That's like my favourite thing, a good well-written detective story rear window would be another great example of that strangers on a train like there, there's a whole bunch like that kind of thing is definitely my favorite the marlow ones with bogart um maltese falcon but I, yeah i love uh, those those kind of movies um uh and then my b genres are uh horror and action i can pretty much watch any horror movie and any action movie 
and pretty much sit through any of those. Um, uh, okay, da 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 da. Coming down to the end now. Chris Leatherman says, "Are there any films you've done episodes on that you have since changed your opinion? For example, Megaforce. My opinion on Megaforce has not changed. Uh, it's a fun camp movie, but it doesn't have enough." Like beyond that, it doesn't have enough going on in it for me to kind of reconsider. I mean, it's it's a fine movie to put on if you want to laugh at ridiculous tight jumpsuits and stupid neckerchiefs. Like, yeah, okay, but it needs to have like for me, uh, I can't just watch a movie because it's a bit camp and a bit ridiculously costumed and just sort of laugh at it. It's not really what I like doing. So I haven't changed my mind on Megaforce. Are there any movies that we've covered that I've changed my mind on? Um, I mean, yeah, my, my my opinions tend to evolve and change, but I mean, not not to any kind of like great shakes. I forget what I said about the Dark Knight Rises, for example, on the podcast. But since then, I've tried to rewatch it three or four times, and I'm of the opinion it's the wor- one of the worst films ever made. Um, so that's changed for the worst. Um, in fact, any. In fact, a lot of the comic book movies, weirdly enough, a lot of the comic book movies, I would probably go back, having rewatched them all now a bunch of times, I would probably go back and change my opinion to to be even uh, more negative on them than I was originally. I'm kind of, I've come to the end of that. Um, any for you, Chief, that we've covered? No, I, I, yeah, I, I, I can't think of any that I've really, really come around on that we've covered anyway. Um, I, I can't, I can't really think of that many that I've come around on in general because I, I'm not like you. I don't tend to rewatch things several times. I tend to sort of the, the I went through. I, I did that from sort of eighteen to twenty four. Like I say, I had that core that I just watched again and again and again and again and again. Um, but other films, I tend to just give give the once and maybe the twice. Or there's all there's stuff like, I, I, if anything, it, it, the, the, the only example I can think of that vaguely comes close is something weirdly like Waterworld, um, where it's on telly all the time in the UK. I don't know about the USA, but it's just on telly all the time. So I've watched it quite a few times, and the more I watch it, the more I like it. Um, so yeah, I it think does, does that's, that's, that's definitely one that a lot of people have had a sort of revisionist history on. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people have changed over time with that movie. Like I think when it came out, the story was... It's a bit like Baron Munchausen. The story was, look at all this massive money that's been lost and wasted and a bomb and, you know, it's the worst movie because it's a bomb and because it lost all this money. When actually, if you go back and watch it years later and not actually give a shit about the budget, just watch it for the story it's telling, it's it's quite fun. Um, same for Baron Munchausen. I've always loved Baron Munchausen. I love Baron Munchausen now and love Baron Munchausen then. And critics you know, giving it shit and whatever because it lost a bunch of money really doesn't affect me. Interestingly enough, doing um, uh, uh, Blue Steel uh, last week with Jim, my opinion on the movie changed as we were discussing it. Like, by the time we were done discussing it, I liked it more than when I immediately left the cinema. So I don't know if that counts as an answer, but um, let's uh, wrap it up. Um, with a f- Oh, actually, I'm scrolling down. I'm seeing a few more. Okay. Um, Grant Knox says, what is your favorite decade for movies and why? Mark Burns says, for me, it's the 70s. Yeah, the 70s is definitely the time. In terms of Hollywood, you know, um, 70s is definitely 
the time where you know because it, it has things like the golden age of Jack Nicholson for instance and and those and and he and he featured in some of you know the great movies like the great movies and you know De Niro as well and, and Pacino you know they people are really trying to do something then but I will always have um, a massive affection for the 80s because it's because it was such a sort of weird um, weirdly confident time and that and films uh, uh, but that confidence doesn't manifest in uh, for me so much in sort of um, brashness as opposed to sort of a kind of sort of joy there's a lot for me a lot of 80s films have a sort of joyful story pure storytelling innocence about them which which is a real which i've come to appreciate more and more and more um living through the noughties and the tens i mean i think the 90s were great as well i must say i, th- I think the 90s were great but there's a lot of recycling going on um, yeah it's also weird though how if i'm going to revisit a movie it's more likely going to be from the 70s or the 80s than it is the 90s. I just, like, I have this theory on 90s comedy, not so much like Train Spotting and Usual Suspects, although I have to say I probably haven't watched either of those in over a decade. Um, but uh, there are certain filmmakers, Coen Brothers, Tarantino, people like that that I go back, Kevin Smith that I go back to from the 90s, so that maybe uh, counts. But, but in general, those one-off hits that were huge at the time in the 90s I don't but I have the theory on 90s comedy and that is when you go back to stuff like Austin Powers for example or even Wayne's World for that matter you kind of go back to it now and you go what were we all laughing at you know what I mean and there's other 90s comedies uh, uh, that, that that I could bring up uh, the American Pie series is another prime example you're like what were we laughing? Like, why was this a successful movie? Whereas you can go back to 80s comedies, 70s comedies, 60s comedies, time and time and time again. So, I don't know. No, the no- I loved, I, lo- I love Bill and Ted's. And... Well, Bill and Ted is 80s, dude. Yeah? Bill and Ted is 80s, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I don't think so. Um... Uh, let me look it up. Bill and Ted's, okay, the first one is 89. You're uh, really blinding. And the second one, I guess, is the, probably therefore 91 or 92. But I don't really... Th- I think of those as 80s comedies, not really like 90s comedies. I'm talking more yeah. sort of the big blockbuster comedies like Michael Myers and, and um, the American Pie ones. And, you know, and it's a bit like horror. Well, and- I think the first... I, I, I still think that the first Austin Powers is funny and I still think that the first Wayne's World is funny. I think Wayne's World 2 is very bad. And uh, but that's purely because they, he just dug up Danny from With Nell and I, and and I and I I always found that excruciating. I never found that funny. Right. Um, and uh, the other Austin Powers movies were, were very bad as well. But still, I went to the cinema. You know, I I still give the '90s credit because I went to the cinema and I laughed. And in the noughties and and. At the moment, especially, I, I I just don't go see comedies because I just think they don't look funny. No, no, they're not. And I think it's it was very interesting to me how quickly I got tired of the Seth Rogen Judd Apatow shtick. Very, very quickly, got completely tired and done with it. The only person, and I won't go see them in the cinema, but I'll I'll, I'll sort of rent them on on. Uh, um, 
on uh, on demand or on iTunes or whatever um, is Will Ferrell, and and again I have to be very picky which Will Ferrell, but I still think he does good stuff. But like all that other stuff from the um, early days of uh, of Judd Apatow. Um, apart from the odd one, like the forty-year-old virgin or whatever. Apart from that, I'm like most of them. I've become pretty sick of now. Um, but no, for my for me, the answer is the eighties, the eighties, the eighties. Um, and I think it's because because of the avenue of video. I love the idea that the eighties movies are multi-layered, meaning you get all the blockbusters. You get all the classics. You get all the family favorites. You get Scorsese still making great movies and Spielberg making movies and, you know, all the rest of it. You get all that. But then you get, then you get all this, like, great new filmmakers that come out because of the advent of video. You know what I mean? And, yes, okay, some of that starts at the end of the 70s. But, you know, you, you, you get some, some really interesting stuff being made by a multitude of distribution and production companies that crop up everywhere. And then underneath that, you've got all the people who bought video cameras for the first time and started like putting out even weirder little like homegrown, made in a backyard in Michigan type movies. So I like the fact that for the first time in the 80s, you know, if you look at the 70s and the 60s and the 50s, because all the movies came out in the cinema, unless they were made for TV, you know, first of all, less movies are kind of getting made. But secondly, they have to be of a caliber. And also they are playing to adults because it's seen in those decades that adults are the ones with the income. Drive-in is where you get people like Corman uh, uh, making movies for teenagers and kids. Like that's where Corman made all his money because he was like, well, what do kids like? They like drag racing. Fine, we're going to make a billion drag racing movies, and then when we run out of steam for that, we're going to make a million bike riding movie. And when we get rid of that, it's going to be beach, you know, blanket, bingo, fiesta, whatever. Like they're they're all about teenage movies um, that's going on in the fifties, sixties, seventies. So it means that there are B movies and things. But for me, uh, the eighties are just there's just there's just something satisfying about all the different layers and all the different corners. And I still don't know everything about 80s movies. I'm still discovering stuff that I love. Um, so, yeah, for me, it covers every genre and it has all sorts of wonderful things in it. The 80s is my decade um, for me. Um, and, okay, uh, Kim asks, will you watch The Little Mermaid with me and let me sing all the songs? If not, please detail out at least three reasons why and I would also like to know if John supports your decision. Um, I would happily watch The Little Mermaid and let Kim sing all the songs. That wouldn't bother me at all. Um, uh, I am not as sort of uptight, grouchy or hipster on my opinion on Disney cartoons anymore and I would quite appreciate the uh, joy of doing so uh, with Kim. Uh, that, would, that would be great. Uh, do, do you support that decision, John? I support that fine. That's Excellent. all good. Uh, last question then. Uh, Vicky Drury asks, it's Father's Day tomorrow here in the UK and here in the US as well. What is your favourite movie to watch um, or your with your father, I think, or your favourite father-themed film? I, I, I can only I could only think of really unoriginal here and go for the Last Crusade. That's it's, oh, but that's it's, an awesome one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But it's yeah, just yeah. it's just really satisfying. It's stupid because Sean's like four years older than Harrison. It's like it's, uh, but it's it, it it's a, they do a really nice. They find a really nice comedy uh, strand out of the 
father son thing, which I which is quite rare. It's not it's not a hackneyed old trope, and uh, I, I thought it was done really well. And and yeah, I mean, I would go for that outside of sort of uh, real men or Taken or um, the Burbs, which all f- feature great leading men who are fathers. Um, I agree. Like Last Crusade, I, I could pretty like that's one of those for me where if it's on, I'm watching it. You know what I mean? If it's on, I get completely drawn into it. It It's consistently my favourite of the Indiana Jones films. You know what I mean? As brilliant yeah. as one is, and as sort of bonkersly bleak and weirdly offensive as part two is, uh, I love Last Crusade, and I will watch it a million times. Um, and uh, he's not a father to him, but he's a father figure to him. Uh, Doc Brown in, in, in Back to the Future is pretty damn good as well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's it. So um, I think that's an awesome place to end, sir. Uh, as it is Father's Day, as uh, I, obviously uh, you yourself are going to become a father soon. So that's very oh, yeah. exciting. Congratulations to that. Um, and just in general, uh, what an excellent conversation. Thanks so much uh, for being on the show, and I do hope uh, you'll come back soon. And we either do more Kane and Keaton, or we uh, do something completely different. Absolutely. Yeah, that was excellent. When you want it for a crime that you didn't commit They call it quicksand When you're sinking up to your neck in it Quicksand And you're the accountant on the run Being stuck in quicksand Oh man, it's really not too much fun Running across Monaco Not knowing next where you will go We find luck in a casino No, no, no Cause of quicksand Maybe Michael Caine can help you when you're in quicksand Or maybe the Femme Fatale will do But she's in quicksand Cause there's Russian mobsters on her tail They'll find you in quicksand But will you live to tell the tale? To add injury to insult You told this kidnap and it's all your fault You took the fight to them, you thought you'd revolt Don't, 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 don't
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.